Chapter Sixteen of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixteen. It was clear that Lars would have to stand treat. It was a custom as old as the Lofoten fisheries themselves that the lad who was up there for the first time must hold festival for the whole hut and have a glass to offer to all that came in that evening. One morning the fleet of fishing-boats lay waiting for the signal to row out, when suddenly a noise of shouts and laughter began to be heard round the seal. Men pointed up at the masthead and cried, "'Look there!' And there hung a young gull by its neck, with wings extended. "'What in the world does it mean?' asked Lash. "'It means that we've got a young gull on board that hasn't stood treat yet,' said Cornelis. "'Take down that carrion!' cried the headman, and Lars had to run the gauntlet of jeers as he climbed up through the rigging and took the bird down. "'That's him! That's him!' came from all sides. But it was his father's fault. Could he not understand that he must come of his own accord and offer his son the few pence he would need for treating? For some time no one in the hut said anything more about the matter, but then one morning Lars pulled on his sea-boots in the dark without noticing what they looked like, and when they were once more in the crowd of boats waiting to go out, there was a fresh commotion round the seal. Gloved hands pointed from all directions. Oh, look, he's a feathery one. It's you, Cornelis said to Lash. And then Lash saw that his boots had been rubbed over with tar, and then rolled in feathers, gull's feathers, and he looked like some big strange bird with his feathered legs. Lars felt as if he would choke and threw an angry glance at his father. Was he to be jeered and laughed at all through the winter? That evening, however, when they had come ashore, his father called him outside and gave him two or three notes, saying as he did so, I suppose we must get this treating over. Then, turning his face away as if in embarrassment, he added, But take care, Lars, remember your mother. In the course of the evening, Cornelis and Lars rowed off in the little boat in bright moonlight. The water in the sound was so clear that the codheads lying on the bottom could be seen staring up with dead, fixed eyes, and the light twinkled from bones and scales. The dark hulls of the steamers and other vessels lying in the bay were reflected in the water, with their rigging, lanterns, and furled sails. The mountains lifted their snowy peaks toward the clear, greenish-blue sky above them, in which hung a few soft white clouds. The phosphorescence in the water was very brilliant. It glowed green in the wake of the boat and among the tufts of seaweed round the rocks, and turned the water that dripped from the oars every time they were lifted into shining silver flames. And, when a movement on the surface sent a splash of water up on the bow of a ship, it left a bright patch of tiny living stars. The tones of a concertina floated out from a great three-master, and from beyond the yellow harbour-lights came the monotonous moaning of the waves, which never slept. "'We'll try the parson gallias, said Cornelis. There were many vessels in the bay from which spirits were sold in all secrecy, but the day before a gallias had anchored that was known all over Lofoten because her skipper had been a theological student. He sold spirits to anyone who wanted them, and preferred the payment to be in fish rather than in money. "'That's where we must go,' Cornelis said. 
but as they were rowing through this town of vessels he suddenly stopped to gaze at the sloop ha he said there'll soon be the devil of a row in the camp why what's up now the Langmo fellows have come it seems and henry is probably out hunting for the ranen man that knocked his eye out last year the Langmo fellows were three fighters from the same district as Cornelis and Lars. They had their own sloop, and in Lofoten went by the name of the Big Stadtslanders. Two of them had already lost an eye, and this did not make their mood gentler when they were in drink. "'We shall have some fun now,' Cornelis added as they rode on. "'And there is the parson Galeas.' They rode up to a dark vessel on the deck, of which a man in a southwester was walking up and down, whistling. "'What do you want?' he said, leaning over the gunwale. "'We came to ask whether you have any treacle you could let us have,' said Cornelis innocently, as he swung himself up on board. Some bargaining went on in an undertone between the two on the deck. "'I wonder if that's the parson,' thought Lars the boy was in a strange mood at the prospect of taking part in a carousal remember your mother his father had said but there was someone else who now came into his mind a fair rosy little girl to whom he had once been married for fun in a barn how was it that her image should come before him so clearly just this evening he had never cared very much for her but now that he was going as it were into danger he felt that he needed something beautiful to cling to. Her name was Ellen Koya. She was always teasing him, but that last evening at home, when she had sat in front of him on his sled lightning, she was really quite a little wife to him. Could she have come that evening on purpose, so that they might be friends again before he set out on the long Lofoten voyage? "'How much money have you got, boy?' It was Cornelis leaning over between two shrouds. The boy startled and awoke to reality. Fifteen kroner, he answered. That'll be twenty quarts if it's to be the French, said the watchman. At that moment the door of the cabin opened, and an old man in a fur coat and fur cap came out on the deck. His spectacles and grey beard were distinctly visible in the moonlight. What is it? he asked in a hoarse voice, apparently without noticing any one but the watchman. Oh, very well, but fish in return. Be sure to remember that. We'd rather have fish. Good evening. And he crossed to the other side of the vessel, and, panting, scrambled down into a little boat. That was the parson, thought Losh. It certainly paid to take payment in fish, for most of those who bought brandy were not very good at reckoning. Jacob, for instance, would give a whole boatload for a barrel of the French, and it never struck him that he was paying five times its price. But misfortune was at hand. Just as the keg with its twenty litres hung in the air preparatory to being lowered into the boat, one of the iron claws that held it slipped. Bang went the keg upon the bottom of the boat, then a splash, and the bright liquid began to pour out. Oh, goodness! cried Lars in dismay. "'Damn!' said Cornelis, dropping as quick as lightning into the boat. "'Doesn't matter,' said the man on the deck. "'I'll lend you an empty keg and a funnel.' While Lars rowed back to land, Cornelis was on his knees in the bottom of the boat, bailing up the precious liquid, 
and pouring it into the new keg, every now and then taking a sip from the baler to see whether it tasted of tar or sea-water. "'Now you must just hold your tongue,' he said. "'There's no harm done. It only tastes all the fresher.'" End of chapter 16